How to Create a Glitch, Monologues. Season 2. Chapter 2. This is the second episode of Season 2 of the podcast, How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix Monologues. In this episode, I'll be talking about conservation, which is one of the core principles I outlined in the last season in reference to how individuals socially fit together on a microcosmic scale. So to begin this discussion, we're going to have to reiterate essentially the four principles that I outlined last season. They are substitution and displacement, union conservation and polarity. Now these four principles imply some things which are very important to understand about how the system manifests and how it functions, and specifically conservation, which is the idea that identity is never created or destroyed. It simply moves around from one person to another. There's an implication of this idea, which is the reality that every thought, ultimately, happens in one form or another, and it happens because even if it's not acted upon by the actor who conceives of it in the moment, it happens and it happens because there must be some reality where that thought was acted upon. So the question becomes if it's not acted upon by the actors. So if the actor rejects the impulse or the thought and chooses not to act on it, then who acts on it? Well, as described in last one of the last season's podcast, we live in a nested reality and in this nested reality. There are distinct levels and each of these distinct levels is nested in the one above it and corresponding to each of these levels, there is a physical representation of us. So there in effect are nine versions of us overlapping in their space, but not necessarily in time or acting upon the same thought processes and so to speak. So there's an opportunity for divergence between these nine selves. But it's fair to say that they are each nested in the one above, and all of them are nested in the very top, which is the esoteric plate. So from this idea, we can draw some conclusions if we suggest that every thought ultimately is acted upon in some reality, whether it's reacted upon by the individual actor in the reality we inhabit or whether or not it's acted upon by another version of us in a lower nested reality really makes no difference because the reality is that every thought ultimately comes to fruition. And at this point, it's necessary to reintroduce the subject matter of the first of the four principles that is substitution and displacement. And essentially the way this fits in is we can say that if an individual doesn't act on an impulse or a thought, then they are displaced. That thought is displaced. And in the place of the original actor, an actor in one of the lower nested realities will act upon the impulse or thought. Which is to say that we go throughout our day and we have impulses here and there, we have thoughts here and there, many of them we do not act upon. But from this, we can conclude that even though we do not act upon all of our impulses in some reality and some nested reality, we do. And in this nested reality, we live with the consequences of that choice for so long as they remain permanent. So the other angle I'd like to take this discussion is with respect to polarity. Now, just as conservation implies that individuals' thoughts and impulses are always acted upon by some agent of our being, whether it is the one that we remember or not. But in the case of polarity, polarity implies that for every thought, there is an antithesis for every archetype an altar of opposing orientation, for every symbol an antithetical ideal. There is an opposing oriented symbol. It also implies that thoughts essentially pair, which means that whenever an individual conceives a thought, there is a corresponding pair conceived of by some other member of a social system. 
from the understanding that presents itself to us through the concept of pairing. We can draw certain conclusions, which is that there's a certain amount of entropy associated with each thought, namely the entropy created by what I would call a dialectical case and the dialectical case is essentially the idea that some entropy is preserved by two thoughts of opposing orientation being conceived of by two distinct members of the system. Now, taking that into account, we can say that that entropy would ultimately have to degenerate so long as there are social dialogue from the standpoint of the existence of postural releases, etc. Because antithetical thoughts are not conducive to the formation of mirroring and the formation of a gateway, and therefore they create social tension that has to be eliminated somehow before it produces a glitch. So the matter, of course, by which this is eliminated is through mirroring, which is union. So to individuals with contrary impulses or contrary thoughts, ultimately within the system have to form themselves into a relationship of dialogue, which ultimately allows them to dissolve the social tension created by the pairing of thoughts. The time it takes for this entropy to dissolve within the system is once again called the substitution time. It represents the transition of an individual with a discordant posture and posing to a mirroring posture and posing with regards to the individual of opposing orientation. So in other words, we can say that the entropy of the system is created by the existence of the fourth principle. Namely, that thoughts form antithetical pairs within the system. And again, thoughts are conserved, which is to say that individuals who conceive of thoughts, regardless of whether or not they act upon them, ultimately the thoughts happen in some nested reality, even if they are not acted upon by us in this reality, to the extent that we are able to observe them now. The fact that all thoughts or impulses ultimately occur in some nested reality tells us that we can find clues of the existence of these nested realities because I do not have any reason to believe that they are occurring in a totally distinct and separate universe or reality, but rather they occur within a nested reality within the confines of this reality, which means that the only factor of significance which could undermine our observation of those actions is the time it would take to do so. Essentially, what I'm saying is if let's say you're standing in a street or standing on a sidewalk and you have the impulse to jump in front of a car, in some reality you do jump in front of the car. So what happens while you're injured? You go to the hospital and you're treated and then you hopefully recover. Now, in order for you to return to the same moment where that impulse was rejected, the only variable that changes is time. Of course, your location changes, but it's a reversible change. The only true change in a variable is the change in the variable of time. So if you imagine that these nested realities take place within folds in time in such a manner that time itself can ultimately be reversed back to the moment of a separation between those two paths, then it's possible to conceive of a reality where these thoughts or impulses ultimately occur. And yet there's only minor records or signifying clues within one's environment. So essentially, what I'm saying is the reality is that there are clues to these sujins, to these divergent paths that you can find within the confines of your life. So whenever you resist an impulse to do something, it's prudent to subsequently examine your environment and be mindful because you may very well find the consequences of that impulse as if it was acted upon within your environment or leaving clues or evidence within the confines of your life and your mind. So that's the end of the podcast for today. I guess I'll see you next time. Thanks.